and she is the little granny bowler, but she got up and went up there every time and bowled and did her thing. She sure did. Oh, you mean she used that thing you like to use? I've only used that once just to see what it was like. So but I, you liked it. I did like it. It kept me out of the gutter, mostly. <laughs> There's no guarantees. No, well, but she put sure up the gutter guards, though. And she's uh, able to get up out of a chair without arms, without any help. She's doing good. She's she's uh, she's just rocking it. It's been a while since and, she's been able to do that. And no knee pain, praise God. And then Derek's got all his stuff approved, so they're in the process of getting him a date for his surgery. So praise God, things are moving. Praise the Lord. We're so excited. Well, let's uh, pray. Let's do our confession, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get right into the Word tonight. Oh, oh, we do need to. We do need to lift uh, Liv oh. up. We need to lift Liv, Liv up. She's she's not here tonight because she's sick on her birthday. Oh, bless her she's heart. She's a fever. We're good. We're good. <laughs> we're good. She Thank says, you. no, we're not. Put them up there. Okay, go ahead and put them up. You're already well, out here. Well, because the service has already started, but okay. Isn't that beautiful? They, aren't those flowers beautiful? They're so pretty. They're good. And Jackie yeah. is faithful to take... She's very faithful to take very good care of them. She did say sorry she was running late today. Yeah, that's fine. So, so Liv, we want to pray for her healing. And then Stacy's son, Jonathan, he had his wisdom teeth out, yes, I believe it was yesterday. Um, and apparently his at-home recovery was going kind of rough coming out of uh, all of the numbing and all of that. So uh, he needs a supernatural uh, recovery and pain relief in, from that as well. So let's lift all those up. Um, I would say, because Miss Stacy's not here, that he is still having a hard recovery. So we'll lift all that up in Jesus' name. So uh, let's do our confession, then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the Word. Glory to God. All right, so we ready? We are. This is my, my Bible. It, it is always true and the final authority. My Bible is God talking to me. I read this Word daily. I meditate, I meditate on this word day and night. This word is rooted and grounded in my heart. This word feeds and grows my spirit. Therefore, my flesh does not control me. I walk according to the spirit. I am a child of God. I have the mind of Christ. God's thoughts are my thoughts. God's, God's words are my words. God's actions are my actions. I am a doer of the word. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we do praise you. Well, let's just talk to the Lord for a few minutes. Prayer is nothing more than having a conversation with God. Um, now, he likes it when you use uh, his words and his language and, and your conversation. You get more... Um, Results when you talk the way God talks, right. but really prayer is just simply having a conversation with God. So, Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Yes, Father, we just Praise give you God. all the honor and the glory for your word tells us that it's with thanksgiving that we enter into your court, into your into your courts, and into your presence with praise. And so, Father, we thank you. Yes, we do. We thank you for all that you are, and all that you've done, and all that you are doing. Father, we thank you that you have your hand of provision on each and every one of us. Father, we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus and for the Holy Spirit yes. that leads and guides and directs our paths in, the, uh, in this day and age. 
And so, Father, we just give you all the glory and all the honor, and we thank you for it. Father, we thank you that you've given us divine protection from foul weather uh, this week and today and these coming days. Father, we're so thankful that you have divine protection over us. We're so thankful for traveling mercies and for time with family, that it goes smoothly and and well when we have those opportunities. Now, Father, we want to lift up Miss Liv to you tonight. It's her birthday. And so, Father, we too, traditionally, when there's a birthday in the house during service time, we like to pray over them and bless them with a spiritual blessing. But, Father, she's, she's under attack physically. And so, Father, we just, by faith, we bless her through, because there's no distance in the spirit. Father, we thank you that your hand is upon her. We thank you that you've given her. Um, she, how old she turned this year? She's turning 18 right now? That's right, I thought so. Father, we thank you that she's completed 18 years of life. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you that this year coming up will be the best year she's had so far. Father, we thank you that she's, that she's having supernatural recovery in her body. We speak to the fever. We command it to go. We command any sickness, ear infection, irritation in the body to be gone in Jesus' name. And so, Father, we thank you that divine healing is working in her body from the top of the head to the soles of her feet. She has several areas that we're believing for healing in, and we thank you that she's healed. Now, Father, we ask the same for Jonathan. We speak to his, we speak to those areas where the wisdom teeth were, and we command the pain to leave those areas in Jesus' name. We command health and healing and proper blood flow into those areas. We command the inflammation to go down. And Father, we come, and Father, we speak to those sockets and we command them that they'll heal supernaturally, that they'll heal without any complications, that there'll be no dry sockets or any other type of complication in Jesus' name, and that he receives great pain relief and that eating is an easy thing for him in Jesus' mighty name. We ask that you give Miss Stacy is and and uh, Mike the supernatural wisdom to know how to comfort him and aid him and give him the uh, the care that he needs as uh, his teeth as his mouth recovers and heals and is made whole in Jesus name and Father we just give you all the glory and the honor Father we thank you for divinely healing all those that are in need of healing and Father as we approach your word tonight. We ask that you think through mine and Michael's mind. You speak through our lips the very oracles of God. That you cause us to make the word easy and clear in this book of Revelation. And, Father, we ask that you give every person a spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. That you open up the, that you open up the eyes of their understanding. That you open up the ears of their understanding. And that the word is planted upon the good ground of the heart. And, Father, we place a bloodline around the good ground of the heart that Satan cannot cross to come to steal, kill, or destroy the word that they received tonight. And, Father, we give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to kick off right here in Revelations 14. We're going to start right here in Revelations 14. Uh, when we, we did la- the last two weeks, we've looked at Revelations 13, so you've got to go back and listen to those. But as we read Revelations 13, when we knew that uh, the... Part of this happened the first half of the seven years after the church is called out. The second half, uh, we saw, got, gets kind of rough. And it looks like during the seven years that the devil is winning. That's what it looks like, uh, but he's not. And uh, we're in chapter 14, we can clearly see that he does not win. So we're going to pick up right here in Revelation 14, verse 1, and read. And we'll see how far we get before commentary kicks in. 
Glory to God. All right. So chapter 14, verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the mount, or on, on the Mount Sion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, I'm going to stop right here. Because <laughs> it says the hundred and forty-four thousand having the father's name written in their foreheads. Somebody's going to read that and say, see, God's just fine with tattoos. Absolutely not. First of all, this is a mark in the spirit. This is a spiritual mark. This is not a physical mark. Satan cannot do anything, but he can't, he can't create anything. He can't do anything other than to have a counterfeit. So tattoos are nothing more than a counterfeit of, is a counterfeit from Satan of something similar that God has in the spirit realm. Satan's just trying to take something that God has in the spirit realm and trying to bring it into the physical natural realm and trying to make it his own. Mm-mm, nope. And they, well, you're just condemning people for tattoos. No, I have two tattoos. I have two of them. I will say this about both of my tattoos. Though I claimed to be a Christian at the time that I got them, I was not living for Christ. Um, and even though I was out in the world living like a sinner lives, there wasn't a Bible in our home. Uh, we never talked about God, even though it was God that brought us together. Um, and uh, when I went into the tattoo parlor, even though it was very clean and very sanitized and all that, I can tell you that I knew in my spirit that it was a dark, a dark place that was not meant for me. But there was just a desire of the flesh to be there. And I remember going through the books and looking at the different things to pick out the tattoo. And I, and I distinctly, I mean, I just flat told my friend that was with me and the people that were around me, they said, well, what kind of tattoo do you want? And I said, and this is what I said. I said, well, I want something that describes my person, that, that depicts my personality, but I don't want anything that will offend God. Now, what kind of sense does that make? I'm not living for God. But I don't want anything that's going to offend God. In other words, I don't want any skulls. I don't want any death. I don't want any devils or demons. I don't want anything of the grave, anything like that. But I thought as long as it was fluffy and fine, that it would be just fine to get a tattoo. So, well, uh, Pastor Robbie, what's your tattoo of? Well, if it's any of your business, it's a baby dragon lighting a bee's butt on fire. Because I just perceived myself to be cute and cuddly, but if you got on the wrong side of me, I'd light you up real quick. Remember, I had an anger issue. Remember, I had an anger issue. So, uh, so uh, what was I trying to do? The devil had talked me into marking my body for his glory instead of reserving that right for God to do in my spirit. And so this is not a permission to get tattooed. This is something that God does in the spirit once you have a victory in Christ. Uh, and it is not a tattoo. It's a spiritual mark. So let's keep reading from there. All right. Verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty-four thousand, which were redeemed from the earth. Glory to God. So here it says, I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many uh, waters and, and as the voice of great thunderings. 
In other words, and then there were harps and they were harping. What was he hearing? He was hearing the praises of heaven. That's what he heard. He was hearing John when he was caught up in the spirit. He was hearing where it says that voice of many waters. That was letting that that's a type and shadow of many, many, many people. And so he was letting us know that there were many voices and they, so much so that it made a great thunder in the heavens. And there was, and not only was there a great thunder of voices, but there were also harps harping. In other words, there were many stringed instruments of many different types. So there, so um, worship in heaven is loud. It's very, very loud. And so he heard this. So this, this he hears this right after uh, the devil. Right after the uh, the scripture, right there in chapter 13, it looks like Satan is just taking over and winning everything. And it looks like he's killing, and, and we talked about that, that it's spiritual death, not physical death. At least, in, at least that's the way we see it in the scriptures, and we've given you all the scriptures for that. Um, could it be physical death? It could be, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense when you're taking this from the spiritual standpoint. Um, and you got to go back and listen to all the other messages to get a full picture of that. Uh, but what we do know is that the church, before the seven-year tribulation takes a hold, we've proved this out in the scriptures. We've proved out that the church that's here today, those that are born again, have made Jesus the Lord of their life and are living clean and are watching for the return, for the calling away of the church. Those people are going to get called out, and they're going to be in heaven worshiping and fellowshipping with God during the seven years. During those seven years. So that's who, so who in heaven is singing and worshiping? Well, the angels are. And those that got called away, the, the modern-day church that's now there in heaven is worshiping. And, uh, and it's a thunderous cloud. And well, how were they worshiping? And they sang as it were a new song before the throne. In other words, they were singing something that John had never heard before. It was some type of music or some type of a song that they had never heard before. Uh, if you've learned how to speak in tongues, how much do you know? You speak words you've never heard before. If you've learned to sing in tongues, how much, you know, you've learned, there's songs that come out of you that you're like, wow, I never heard that before. Well, can you imagine that on a massive level in heaven and everybody singing in unison? Yeah, that's going to sound like a new song. Absolutely. And they sang as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts. Remember, we saw in prior chapters, there's the four beasts that seem to be potentially uh, tied together or wheeled together above the throne. Uh, they're there. And then it says, uh, the four beasts and the elders, the 24 elders, we talked about those prior in our scriptures. And it says, and no man could learn the song, but the 144,000 which were redeemed of the earth. So who are the 144,000? Well, we saw early on in, the, in Revelation that as soon as the church is raptured, as soon as the church is called out, that Jesus, before before Satan can do anything, Jesus sends an angel down, and, and Jesus says, you're, demons, you're not allowed to touch anybody until I mark 144,000, uh, and it's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, and that comes up to 144,000. So we understand that these are very committed Jews. These are Jewish people following the Jewish law that have Jewish lineage, 
um, that are the 144,000. We're about to learn something new about these people. And it says, which were redeemed from the earth. Let's keep reading and we'll find out a little bit more about them. All right, verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Okay, so the commentaries have a lot to say on this. The commentaries will say, well, it says which were not defiled with women, so that means that the 144,000 are men. Okay. Then, it say, then some commentaries say, well, I don't know if that's true, because, well, it says for they are all virgins, and, well, women are virgins. Well, I don't know what school they went to. They got their, got their degree, because if you've never had sex, you're a virgin. <laughs> Male or female, it doesn't matter. Uh, so uh, the indication here, when you look up that word women, um, it actually says that the word there, women, actually most of the time, and properly so, is translated the word wife. Wife. And so when you read it this way, the indication is, is that, that the 144,000 are people that have never given themselves to another human that's the indication let's keep reading we'll see just a little bit more here that helps us to understand exactly who these 144,000 are all right these are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth now we know the lamb's not on earth so how are they following him around well they're following him around by following his word and doing doing the okay. things that they, he, they are on the earth you said they're not on the earth these are on the, the people earth. are on the earth but the right. lamb is not on correct the earth at this point correct okay so they're, they're, they can't be physically following him around, so they must be spiritually following him right. around. They're reading his word. They're, they're going to church. They're, they're, they're doing his work on the earth. They're preaching the word. They're doing what a good disciple would do. That's right. Let's keep going. All right. These, are, uh, these were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Okay. So this right here, these first two words in this sentence gives us all the information that we need. It says these were redeemed, or these first few words these were redeemed from among men that word is not the word man is in male but man is in mankind so the indication here is that the 144,000 are Jewish are Jews they're of Jewish lineage they come out of the line of Israel out of out of Jacob's lineage out of his uh genealogy there's 144,000 of them they come out of that genealogy and they are wholly committed to God. They're not over in uh, Corinthians, I believe it is. Paul said, listen, if you can keep yourself physically pure, in other words, if you can keep your flesh under check, then, then it's better if you can just go ahead and just serve God all the days of your life and not get married. But if you can't keep your flesh under control, then go ahead and get married, but yet still serve God. And here's why. Because when you get married, whether you're male or female, then your attention to God is divided. God is the head. God is my head. God is Michael's head. He's the one. I'm following God. He's following God. And together, God leads us together to the same direction Amen. and to the same place. Okay? But at the same time, where I would be like, you know, I'm like, I gotta go take care of the church, I gotta 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 go take care of the church. Michael helps to keep me balanced because he's like, honey, there's a house. Honey, we gotta do laundry. Honey, we gotta do dinner. Honey, the grass has gotta be cut. And I'm like, 
Hurrah! Well, on the other hand, he's on the other side of the on the other side of the coin. The coin. He's like, uh, got to go mow the grass, got to weed eat, got to build this, got to build that, got to take care of this, got to take the trash out, got to do this, got to. And I'm like, honey, what about God? And he's like, oh yeah, we got to sit down and make time for him. So see, the, us together, our attention is divided. Uh, but together, uh, or separate, our attention is divided, but together we can come together and we can both follow God. Where if I didn't, you know, if we were individuals, you know, then if I fed my, how much, you know, if it was just me by myself and I wanted to cook, then I could cook. If I just wanted to eat a bowl of soup, I could eat a bowl of soup. Who cares, right? But no, when you have a family, you got to make sure the spouse, the husband, the, the spouse is fed. You got to make sure the kids are, you know, and if you have kids, well, that's that much more that your time is divided. So really what this is talking about, this whole verse is talking about, there she is. She found it, 1 Corinthians 7.32. But I would have you without carefulness that, that he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. So if you're unmarried, you've got a lot more freedom to focus solely on God. We've got an evangelist friend of ours um, that she is single. And she's like, it's awesome. She said, the only obligation I have in life is to be obedient to God. And that's totally something Melissa would say. She's like, it's wonderful. Because she said, I, my whole life is totally devoted to God. Well, that's fine. But does that mean that me who is married is less devoted to God than she is? Absolutely not. It just means that I have to work at things a little harder because i got to keep a balance that she doesn't have to keep. You know, what's funny to me is, is in today's society, we don't teach our kids this. Right. We, we teach our kids, if, if you don't go out and get married, yeah. you're not successful in life. Yeah. It, I, and we start them at a little, like when they're knee-high to a grasshopper, yeah, yeah. We, 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 take, we have them go on play dates, and we go, oh, aren't, don't they make a cute couple? You got a little, you got a little boy in diapers, a little girl in diapers are playing together, and they go, oh, that's so sweet. They're going to get married. Stop it. Yeah. But, 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 but what we should be teaching kids is God's first in your life. That's right. Doesn't that's right. Matter, if you happen to get married, great. If, you, if, if not, that's okay. God's first in your life. And that's, that's the way right. it should be. But we've gotten away from that. But the point of this 144,000, now I want you to think about this. At this point, the Jews, their whole entire life has been dedicated. These are Jewish men and women who have dedicated their life to serving God, to studying the scriptures, to studying Jewish law. I mean, they're learning the prophecies. They're learning everything about this. The church gets called out, and they get left behind. How much do you know all of this sudden? The prophecies that they've been reading that hasn't been making sense to them suddenly make sense to them. All of a sudden, their eyes are opened up. And then here comes an angel, and he says, uh, you know, and, and all the, you know, so, so the earth gets called out, so the church gets called out, and they realize Jesus was the Messiah. And the church truly did get called out. And now we truly are in the last seven years of daniel's weeks we're in that last week of daniel's they're like this is it jesus is coming back and we have got to get now we looked this number up now now think about this these are jews right yeah so they thought they were living good they thought they were doing the right thing right they thought they were following god but then all of a sudden the church gets called out out oh no we're wrong we've missed it 
And and their Jewish friends that believe in Jesus that have been preaching Jesus to them, and they've been fighting them tooth and nail, and all of a sudden their Jewish friends that believe in Jesus are gone. But they're still here. But now, so so now these got these these men or women, right? They 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 go and they get they get committed to to Jesus, and they yeah. they get saved and they're Christians. Now, and 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 they're virgins. So right. then they become part of the hundred forty four thousand. Right. How much do you know that that if these were Gentiles, it'd be hard pressed to find one hundred forty four thousand virgins. But let's talk because, about the... because the Gentiles yeah. are doing whatever whatever yeah. feels good. It, because, because the Bible says Because so. it has to do with their purity to yeah. God. Because under Jewish law, if you don't keep yourself pure, purely reserved for marriage, then then you've, you've been tainted with the blood of God. Huh? Right. Yeah, these are unmarried Jews who have not committed to anybody. The whole point has to do, the reason it talks about being virgins is because it means that they're not, they're not concerned with the flesh they're concerned with serving god that's what this right. whole thing and, means and, and as jews they were concerned with serving god so they were trying to live a good life yeah, but then they, they found out they were holy. missing that one important element jesus yeah. christ but so then they were because of that you know because they were living a good life they were still able to become part of the hundred and forty four thousand. but now let's talk about why is it so important why is it so important that these hundred and forty four thousand jews that their attention is not divided we actually looked today, and according to a 2000, and I think it was a 2001 survey, I think that was the most recent survey I could find, uh, on just a real quick search, there are over 15 million practicing Jews in the world. Over 15 million. So the 144,000 is less than 1.5% of the Jews that will be left behind. And those 144,000 Jews... Whether they were living a good life or not. Right. Those 144,000 Jews are tasked with the job of preaching and proclaiming Jesus is the Messiah to the the 15-plus million Jews that are left behind to go through the tribulation. How much do you know? They do not have time to be distracted by husbands, wives, and children. They have a job. At the, and, and the other thing is, is the devil is out to... Now, now in the earlier chapters, we saw that, they, that Satan was told, you cannot touch my 144,000. But everybody so else not, is fair game. So they're not necessarily... So, they're, they're, so Satan and the demons are hands off on them. But they're still living in the world that's going through famine. They're still living in the world that's going through floods. They're still in the world that's going through earthquakes and meteor showers and and wars and everything else. They're still in that. The only thing that's saving, that's the only thing that's helping them is that the demons are not allowed to to attach themselves or attack them. They have they have the rule of authority of well, Jesus in that sealed. time. They've been sealed. They've been sealed with the they've been with sealed the and can't be touched. Written in their foreheads. So that's so that is a that is a bonus. But and here's the deal: the hundred forty four thousand they're not going to be marked until we're out of here. Yes.
Right. It, well, it says but, it says that it's marked in their foreheads. We don't know if it can be peeled off. We don't know what it is. We just know that God marks them with a spiritual mark. They're sealed as God. And the, and the mark will only be able to be seen yeah. in the spirit. Yeah, it's a legal seal. Yeah, it's a legal seal of God. That's right. exactly what it is. All right. Yeah. So, and verse 5. And in their mouth was found no guile. For they are without fault before the throne of God. So what the, here's the other qualification. The other qualification is these have to be Jews that are not sinning behind closed doors. They're not, they're not hypocrite. These are not hypocrite Jews. These are, these are Jews. More than likely they're young because they've not gotten married. They've not, you know, they're solely focused on God. Uh, and they're going to be able to travel and to minister and things. So the, so the indication is that they're probably going to be on the younger side, but that's not guaranteed because, I mean, we listen, anybody in here is capable of saying, you know what, I know my mom, I mean, yeah, she was married, but when she became a widow, she said, that's it, I'm God's. That's it, I'm God's. So, you know, there are people that go up through life and just say, I'm happy just being single. I'm happy just being just I don't I don't need my physical body's under under control and I don't need a companion. I'm fine. Uh, And you can do that at any age. But this particular age, these people were pure through their whole life and stayed pure through their whole life. It's really a type and shadow of Jesus on the earth is really what it is. All right. So let's keep going. Verse six. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Okay, let's talk about those first. Because first of all, he says, I saw another angel. Well, we've been, we've been looking at verse thir- chapter 13, chapter 12, chapter 11. But if you remember back there in chapter 10, he was telling us about the angels that he saw in the spirit. And so he's telling us about the angels and that they have the trumpets, and, he, and this angel comes and he trumpets, and this angel comes and he trumpets, and this angel comes and he trumpets. And then he gives us some really good details in 11, 12, and 13 about what's happening, happening specifically in Jerusalem. But now in this chapter, he says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. This is going to be so cool. I can't wait to sit up in heaven and watch this. Um, this is going to be really, really cool. When it says, I saw another angel in the midst of heaven, that in the midst of heaven, that is a very specific portion of the heavenlies. This describes the portion of heaven. Um, Can you put that up in the Amplified? Uh, this describes the portion of heaven like where the sun is and the moon and the stars are. In the Amplified, it says, I saw another angel flying in, in mid-heaven. In mid heaven. So this angel, what this draws a picture of is this angel, when he, when this angel comes, this angel is going to be flying in the atmosphere up here where our clouds are, actually above where the clouds are, and we're going to be able to see him just as plainly and clearly as we can see the sun. And we're, that not only will we be able to see him, but we will actually be able to hear him as well. And he's going to be flying around the earth. So just as plainly as you can see the sun and the moon, you will be able to see this angel and you will be able to hear this angel. The whole earth is going to see and hear this angel uh, during this seven, right here. Now this is telling us at the, and this is right at the end 
because it was talking about this is what this is how um, the devil's going to do it. The devil's going to do it, and this is it. And this now he's talking to us about what's going to happen as Jesus begins to come to the earth. As Jesus begins to leave the heavenlies, the first thing that's going to happen is an angel's going to appear in the sky, uh, very much so like when the show, remember when Jesus was uh, born. And all of the shepherds in the fields could see all of the angels. Well, that was only ava- that was only visible right there in Bethlehem. This will be worldwide. This will be worldwide. Now, when I read this verse, I got stumped. So I want to finish reading this verse in the King James and verse seven, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about this a little bit more. So let's read this. Let's read verse six and seven. Okay, six and seven. All right, back. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Okay. Let's talk about what the powers and the abilities of angels for a minute. The word angel literally means messenger. We've talked about this a lot. The word angel literally means messenger. And what their job is to do is their job is to get a message from heaven and deliver it to whoever God tells them to deliver it to. Like Sunday morning, we were right here at the tail end of praise and worship. I knew uh, that we were going to be talking about how to break free, break free from the bondages of fear, doubt, depression, uh, uh, worry, anxiety, and all of that. And um, I was standing uh, right about here facing the praise team, and all of a sudden I sensed two angels come and stand behind me on either side. And I knew that this time this was – and normally when I sense that, they're there to strengthen – they're, they're there to bring heavenly strength for the preaching of the gospel or for the work, whatever you got to do. And uh, so when I sensed that, I thought, huh, I really didn't feel kind of weak. I, I didn't feel like I needed that strength boost. And, I, and so it kind of threw me off guard. And then I realized, oh, they're here with a message. So I said, uh, Lord, I recognize the presence of the angels, and I sense that they're here with a message. And then I heard... Just in my spirit, it wasn't audible. I just heard in my spirit, I heard, I heard this. I heard they have escorted me, being Jesus, they have escorted me here because I have brought an impartation to break bondages of worry, fear, anxiety, stress, and depression. And I went, oh, okay. So they came with the anointing in hand. And, and he said, they're my, basically, Jesus said, they've escorted me here so that I can bring you this anointing. Wow, that's pretty cool. Jesus himself brought the anointing this time. That's not normally. Most of the time, the angels will bring the anointing and just give you the message. Okay, praise God. Hallelujah. So, um, so but what angels cannot do is angels cannot preach the gospel. Angels cannot preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because the, because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was given to mankind to preach. His angels were not given to preach. I know she's looking at, she just looked at me cross-eyed and said, it says right here that he was given the gospel. He was given, he was given internal gospel. Well, let's, I'm going to help you with that because I, as soon as I read that, I went, wait a minute. The angels cannot preach. 
scratch, scratch, scratch. And I sat there and frustrated with the Lord. And then finally, a great revelation came. He said, read the next verse. And I went, oh, okay. So, but the angels cannot preach because the preaching of the gospel is a testimony. It's a testifying of what God is and has done for you in your life. That's what the preaching of the gospel is. It's a proclaiming of this is who God is and this is what he has done. Well, guess what? Angels are servants, not qualifiers to be recipients of the of the work of Christ. They're servants. They're not children. They're not heirs. So, therefore, they cannot preach. The only thing that angels can do is say what God says. So, think of it this way. Here, uh, honey, this will help. So in the Darby translation, it says, and, there, uh, um, and I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having everlasting glad tidings to announce to those settled on the earth. But that still sounds like preaching. It does. It still sounds but like it's, preaching. It's, it's but delivering let me, a message. But let me, it is to deliver a message, but there's delivering a message from the throne of heaven, and then there's delivering the message of the good news of the gospel of Christ. There's a difference. There's a difference. Angels only respond to Scripture, and angels only speak what they are told to speak from the heavenly throne. So, how in the world did this angel have an everlasting gospel to preach? God gave this angel one sentence to deliver. Look at what it says. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. Semicolon. For the hour of his judgment is come. Colon. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. That's it. That's, that was the only thing this angel said. And he said it repeatedly. As he flew over the heavenlies, he repeatedly said, he repeatedly, he, he just kept repeating, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. And then he'd just start again. Fear God. Give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come. And worship is come. That, and worship him that has made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of the water. And he just keeps repeating it while he's in the sky. And everybody on the earth is hearing this over and over and over and over, and they're hearing this while the beast is on the earth proclaiming to be the Messiah. So this is a sign and a wonder. I assure you that the beast and the dragon are going to say, that's my angel. They're going to try to twist it and convert and pervert it. Let's keep going. All right, verse 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So this is, so he sends the first angel with one sentence. And it declares that all of humanity serve the God that created the heavens and the earth and the, that's the creator of all. That is the gospel. That is the everlasting gospel or the everlasting message, or the everlasting good news that that angel was sent to preach, and that was the only sermon that angel ever had. Because it wasn't a sermon. It was literally a statement from the throne of heaven. 
He was literally speaking for father, for the Father God. He was basically a crier or a, or a heralder for God. Back in ancient times, back in biblical times, uh, when there was a trial, you didn't find out about it through social media or newspaper or anything like that. How you found out about it, that there was a trial, is they had what was called a crier or a heralder that would go through the streets yelling and heralding that so-and-so was on trial and when they were on trial and what their charges were for. Well, this is essentially what the angel was doing, is he was going through all of the earth heralding that they needed to... uh that they needed to worship God and not the devil. And then right on his heels comes another one. Uh, right here, right at the end of the seven years, here comes another one of these angels in the midst of heaven. And this angel declares, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. The great city. Let's talk about what Babylon is. Babylon is actually a, a uh, biblical city. Uh, the Canaanites had great wars there. Uh, Joshua had a great war there. Um, there were great wars in different pla- uh, there in uh, this area. Um, however, and it was a great city, and it was a, and this city just was a lot had a lot of idolatry, a lot of uh, worshiping of false gods, um, and what have you. But what it means in this connotation here, this word Babylon is the seat of idolatry the enemy of Christianity. So when it says Babylon has fallen, what it's saying is the one that brings all of this idolatry, the one that brings all of these fake gods, the one that brings all of this worship, who's at the seat of all idolatry? Satan. So basically what this angel is declaring is Satan has fallen. And, and all of the cities and all, basically he's, he's, basically what this angel is declaring is this angel is declaring that every God that is against God, that is against Christianity is fallen. The very enemy of Christianity, Satan himself, has fallen. In other words, he's, he's come down, he has, he has been stripped of his power. He has been stripped of his power. This is just a snapshot glimpse of what's going to happen when when Jesus exercises final dominion power and might over Satan. There's going to be an angel in the sky declaring that the seed of idolatry, the enemy of Christianity, has fallen. There, uh, he no longer has any power. Um, and then, and then, it, and then this angel declares why this city, why this. Um, Rule of power, idolatry, this, this, uh, devil worship has fallen. They refer to that as a city to help put it in a concept that we can understand. Okay? So it's not an actual physical city, it's the idea of. Okay? And, and here's why it falls. It, and, uh, it's referring to the city as a female. It just helps us get a grasp, get a picture of it. Um, and here's why. It says, she made all the nations to drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That word made and that word drink are the same Greek word. They're both the same Greek word. Um, and this Greek word means to irrigate, as in to water like a farm, irrigate a farm, to imbue or to dip repeatedly, to saturate or to submerge, especially one's mind 
So what this city of so Babylon. So this isn't just a one-time sin. This is an over and over and over thing. So how and, much? And, the, and when it when it's referring to fornication, it's not just fornication does include sex out out of marriage, but it's but it's also unfaithfulness and breaking of covenant or contract. Well, since how you went ahead and jumped ahead of me, let's just go ahead and talk about it. Fornication is every type of sexual of, of sexual misconduct that you can think of. And I'm just going to leave it right there. Y'all can figure that out. Uh, also includes the worship of idols. It includes any type of idol defilement. If you defile yourself in any way in worship of an idol, what are some idol defilements? Idol defilements. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there. Tattoos. Believe it or not, the, the, the seat of tattoos, the ideas of tattoos, I'm sorry if it offends you, uh, but it actually came out of uh, worshiping false gods. That's where, that's where it originated from. Why did it originate there? Because Satan is trying to counterfeit what God has. Uh, what's another defilement? Well, uh, people get all kind of snickety and snooty over there in uh, Leviticus where it talks about it, 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 depending on the translation, it says, thou shall not shave thy head. That's not what it means. What it means is shaving your head completely bald. Or Actually, what it means, it's not just shaving, but it's doing, it's, it's doing something to your scalp so that no hair will grow. It's actually maiming your scalp so that the only place that hair will grow from is one spot where they can do, like, their ponytails or whatever. That's it, that's that's, <laughs> that's just weird. It is weird, but you know, in the Egyptian, remember, in the Egyptian cultures, they had they had they only had that one ponytail, and they, and that we all assumed that they just shaved their head every day. No, 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 they did something to their scalp. They burned it or something Killed to their the scalp follicles. to where only that hair for that ponytail would grow. They would physically maim their body. Uh, have you ever? Uh, we've seen things like over in Africa where they do like the tribal burns of patterns for just showing different ranks and stuff, marring your bodies in certain ways, the cutting of the body in certain ways to show uh, worship to your gods. That's that's being defiled in the body. Another way of defiling your body is to do things with your body uh, that you should that you would not that you would reserve. For your for the for the marriage bed, and just put it that way. Another way that you could uh, another way that you could defile your body is to, or another thing that you could do uh, to for defilement is you could allow devils and demons to take you over. That's another form of defilement, surrendering it, surrendering yourself to them. Drugs, uh, drugs, alcohol, these types of things are defilement. Uh, lying is a defilement, believe it or not. Uh, anything that God says, if you can, basically you can go back in the old Levitical law, and if God said, don't do this, 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 I can just about guarantee you the whole reason he said don't do it is because that's what they did in worship to their gods and false gods. I know some people are thinking, well, lying's not that big of a deal, but in the old days, your word was your bond. That's right. If you said you were going to do something, you might as well have wrote it down on a piece of paper and signed it. And I'm it's not a contract. It's a I, verbal contract, and and it used to be, it used to mean something. And 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 it, and and so so fornication is uh, unfaithfulness or breaking a contract or a covenant with God. Absolutely, with, with God. Um, the defilement of idolatry. 
Now, this is the actual definition. So lying, lying goes into that unfaith, that breaking of the covenant. I'm sorry. Uh, it goes as far as to as incurred by eating the sacrifices offered to idols. So in, in their world, in their day, and this still happens today, sorry to say, they would sacrifice animals. They would even sacrifice small children to their gods. And then, and, and, and we'll just leave it at that. Um, and once that animal or person was sacrificed, then they would eat the meat of that. Uh, so um, they'd also, but here's the deal, they'd also offer wine and baked goods and wheats and foods. They'd offer stuff to their gods as sacrifices, and then they would, take, then they would partake in those things that they offered as sacrifices. Um, so this is why uh, this stuff is very important. Um, so there's just a lot to this fornication. So basically what he was saying is, now I want to go back to this drinking of. So, you know, we, we're saturated today. Let's just say this right here. We're saturated in if it feels good, do it. We're saturated in just go get you some CDB oil or some CDB edibles or something like that. It's okay. It's not going to hurt you. God sees that as defilement of idol worship. We're saturated in, well, you don't have to be married. You can just live together and pretend like your husband and wife. That's, that's what he's talking about. We're saturated in, well, you can love Whoever or whatever you want to love, you understand what I'm saying? Uh, you know, huh? Whatever, okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not being ugly, that but Canada, a lot, listen, lot to interpretation, listen yes. Canada, earlier this year, Canada was at 163 genders. I do, Brother Randy just, just informed us that they're up to about 198 different genders. Yeah. 198. Yeah, their, their one big complaint now is they're running. America is not far behind. Their, the one, their one big complaint now is they're running out of letters of the alphabet. I guess so. I, last time I checked, my alphabet only had 26 letters. They were up to 198 different genders. So I'm not being mean. I'm not being ugly. Listen, I'm trying. How much you know? We're being saturated. And go ahead, get you a drink. Go ahead. Go ahead and lie. It's okay. Everybody lies. Go ahead and have a perverse, profane mouth. Go ahead and cuss. It's okay. Everybody listen, does it, right? Listen, I'm not dumb. When you're little and you're in school, you got that one little kid or two little kids because they kind of use, you know, adult words. And everybody's <laughs> like, ooh, that's not okay. But then you get into middle school, and especially when you get into high school, oh, my God, if parents could be flies on a wall, these children would get beat with a flip-flop for sure. Some for of them would. sure. Some of them would. For sure they would. Some of them are, are learning that at home. Yeah. Now, now and Miss Bridget, she works with the little, little ones, and she's got two and three years old that will make you blush like a sailor with their language. How much do you know? We're being saturated in the sin of idolatry. We're being saturated in it. And if you think it's bad now, imagine what it's going to be like when the church gets called out of here. Okay? If you think it's bad now. So, so the I'm whole sorry, reason. I'm sorry for the younger ones because they can't get away from it. That's right. Not very easily. 
So here's the deal. Uh, you know, and, and so he's explaining to so this angel is saying, Jesus has come and take Satan. He has taken Satan down because Satan has caused the nations, the nations, all the world to be saturated in this sin of fornication, this sin of worshiping false gods and everything that's associated with it. And he said, and because it's gotten so bad, Jesus has come. So when you get to looking at all this stuff about how bad it's getting out there, don't get discouraged. Don't get upset. Don't get frustrated because Jesus, we're fixing to read right here that Jesus does care. And he's given these people as much time as he can. Well, that angel said, for the hour of his judgment has come. That's right. So let's keep reading. All right. So, okay, so we're verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. Okay. We have to address this. Can we, can we go through? Yes, go ahead. The, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Okay. I'm going to read. I want, I want to, first of all, this word in verse 9 that says, receive his mark or receive the mark or receive mark. His is italicized. Receive mark in his forehead. This word receive right here, this particular word um, is uh, the word lambeo. It's L-A-M-B-A-N. The, the emphasis is on the B-A-N, long O. So it's lambane, lambane, ban O. Lambane, la, help me out. That sounds good. <laughs> okay. And it means to take upon oneself, to lay a hold of it, to take it to one, to take it as one's own self, to take possession of it. Now, I need you so to. So this turn- is an active. Thing here. This is actively it, taking ownership. It's, it's actually actively saying, this is my mark. Yes. You know. So now I need you to turn back to Revelation chapter 13 and verse 16. Honestly. Back one page. That, well, it depends on your Bible. Right. Um, Revelation 13, verse 16. Yep. I want you to notice here, it says, and he shall causeth. That word cause would actually be better translated today to the word make. Or force. To make or to force. Okay? To make or to force. Totally different word. It just means that he would, that he's going to make you to do this. It says he, so, and then where it says to receive, down there a little bit farther, that word to receive means to give. To give. So I'm going to read this verse this way, and it's a more accurate translation. It says, he, talking about the dragon, he will make all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to be given a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. So what this, everybody's all in the TV, oh, don't take the mark, don't take the mark, don't take the mark. When you go back to the original language and you read and you pull the original definitions, the original words, it says, He shall make all, both small and great, 
or small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to be given them a mark in the right hand or in the forehead. Okay, what this is, this is a sign that you are that the that the beast is on the earth and that he's in charge. That's this is a sign of the times. That's what this is. This is a sign of the times. Now, taking that into consideration, we're going to skip everything else and we're going to jump like he, like it's one statement, and we're going to jump to chapter fourteen, verse six, verse nine. And it says, and the third angel, in connection to the mark that you were that you are going to be given, it says the third angel followed them, saying with a loud mouth, with a loud voice, if any man, number one, worship the beast, number two, worship his image, and number three, receive and take ownership as his own the mark that is in his forehead or in his hand. Then they uh, shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So just because something comes down the pike that says, if you want to buy and sell, if you want to be able to get through the world, you've got to take this thing and get put, have it implanted in your hand or in your arm, or you're not going to be able to buy, sell, or anything. And they come along and they say, you've got to have it. Just because they, just because you're in a position where you have to be, where you have, where you're given it, does not mean that you're headed to hell. If it did, our God would be an unjust God. This is a sign of the times. Now, how close are we to Jesus coming? The technology already exists today, and they're already testing it in some of the third world, in some of the na- Scandinavia, and some not areas world, like that. But they're not third world. They're, they're not right. third world. But in some of the kind of more off-the-grid type places. The smaller places. The smaller places. It's high-tech, but they're they're testing it in smaller places. In Scandinavia, there are people who are already getting these these identity chips, and it's already being inserted into all these in all the stores and everywhere. And you go to the store, and you get all your stuff, and you scan your hand. Uh, They scan your hand, and the money comes out of your bank account, and boom, you're gone. Out you go. It's already in process. So, does and that mean some, that we're in the time of tribulation? No. Point. No, we're not in the time because the church has not been called out. But exactly. at some point after the church is called out, this is going to be mandated at least in Israel, Jerusalem, and those surrounding areas. It's going to be mandated, if not mandated worldwide. It's going to be mandated. And just because, and I'm not, listen, I'm not advocating for you to get some medical, to get some computer or something in your body that makes you, I'm not saying get it, I'm not saying don't get it. I'm telling you what the word says. What the word says is that, there in verse, chapter 13, verse 16, it says, he, the beast, will make all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to be given a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. In, in the Amplified, it says, also he, he compels all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, to, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or their forehead, I'm, signifying allegiance to the beast, and that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark. But see, they've taken, they've taken that out of context when they say, put that up in the Amplified. 
When it says signifying allegiance to the beast, That's that not should not be in, the in there. That is not in the original context. No. That should not be in there. The translators put that in there because I just told you what that what that scripture actually says. And that is not in there in that verse anywhere. It, all it simply says is you're, you're going to be compelled to get this thing and it's going to have influence over your money. That's all it says. Now, yes, Miss Bridget. That, that's what this leans that's, to. That's that, what this leans right. to. Is the Once it goes into an electronic currency, which is going to be control. Which that is be, the one world then, government. Yeah, that I would think. be a one world currency. But well, you've got to take these scriptures in light of all the other scriptures. And that scripture in the Amplified, where it says signifying allegiance to the beast. Listen, if somebody, in the, I mean, if we go under martial law and whoever the leader is, I'm not going to be here, so I'm not going to have to deal with it. But if I do get left behind, uh, i got some adjusting to do. Yes, you just say, you get left behind, I'm in trouble. <laughs> but, but seriously, if, if I got left behind and, and the military comes along, or maybe, maybe it happens before the church gets called out. I don't know. I don't think so, not according to the scriptures. But here, but still, if I'm here and the military comes in and they line me up to gunpoint and they grab my arm and they say, bam, Jesus is not going to send me to hell for that. Right. Jesus is not going to send me to hell for that. I Just because it's in my body doesn't mean that I'm signifying allegiance to the beast. And, and you might, people are terrifying people with this type of talk. And you might say, even, even if they line, lined me up like that, I would refuse. But what if they lined up your whole family and they started with your kids? And they said, if you don't get it, we're going to kill your kids. Or are we're going to torture are, your kids you or whatever. Say no then? I mean, so here's the deal. If you're forced to take it, God is not going to send you to hell over it. That is not in there. It literally says, I looked up every single one of these words and it lit in verse 16. And it literally says he will make all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to be given a mark in their right hand and in their foreheads. That's all it says. I looked up every single one of these words. There's no hidden meaning in it whatsoever. Now, when it gets to the next chapter, now when you get to chapter, and it says if you receive it and it means to take it as your own, that's the difference. Right. You know. But even at that, I want you to let's look at let's look at chapter 14, verse 9, very carefully. This is what the angel said with a loud voice: If any man number one worship the beast, that's one thing. If you're worshiping the beast, does it say or, or does it say and? And. And and the image of the. And his image. And his image. So number one, you have to worship the beast, and you have to worship the image. And then it says and remember, the image is going to be that image that's alive, kind of. Right, right. And then it says, and, does it say and or or? And. Receive, and that word receive means to take as your own ownership, take possession of it, lay a hold of it like it's your own, and take ownership of the mark that is in your forehead or in your right hand. So unless you have all three criteria, you don't qualify for the next verse. Does everybody get this? Because I'm telling you. If you're forced, 
God has mercy and grace. I understand. I've got a whole bunch of faces looking at me going, well, now that ain't what I've been told my whole life. Right. I get that. I understand that. But man has been putting their own interpretation into what the word says, and they're trying to terrify people into rebellion, and that is not the character of God. And, and Okay, let, let's take it one step further. They knock you out in a surgical procedure or whatever, and you wake up and you've got the mark. You have no idea. I mean, is God going to send you to hell for that? No. No, he's not. No. So why would he, if you're, if you're not accepting it as your own, why would he send you to hell? It's, it's, if you're following him, there's going to be mercy and grace for that. You know, here's the deal. They might be handing out the mark. And me as a minister, you know, a minister in that day, they might be handing out the mark and saying, God, I can't take that. I'm, I belong to you. I refuse to receive it. God might say. Now, this will cause your head to tilt. This might cause your head to tilt. God might say to that minister, minister, don't fight him on the mark. Go ahead and take it. Because as long as you don't receive it in your heart as your own ownership, then and you don't start worshiping the beast, and you don't start worshiping his image, then that means that you're mine. But if you don't take it, I'm not going to be able to get you into the lands that I need to get you into to take my gospel where my gospel needs to be preached. And re- I'm telling you. And remember, listen, remember, just, none of this matters until after the church is called away. And we just saw something like, listen, we just saw something like this with COVID. We just saw something like, they were like, if you don't get the shot, then you can't travel. You can't, I mean, there were states that said you can't even leave your state or your county without were, proof of the injection. There were people losing their jobs left and right. Because, because they, they wouldn't confused. take it. And Pastor Mike and I, Pastor Mike, myself, my mom, and even my doctor said, you're not getting that right off. We don't know everything that it does and the way your system responds. There ain't no telling what will happen to you. He said, hold off. So I said, okay. He said, I want all of y'all to hold off. So we held off because of how mom and I respond to medications. And there was an indication that there was a genetic marker towards Indians in this thing. And, and so Mike was on that marker list. And so Doc said, we're going to hold off. We're going to learn some things. This is early on, early, early on. He said, hold on, we're going to learn some things. So we said, okay, we're going to hold on. Now, with that, Doc said, now, you're going to be taking a whole lot of vitamin D. You're going to be taking a whole lot of vitamin C. You're going to be taking a whole lot of zinc. Make sure you're washing your hands. Like, like we had a laundry list of precautions. You know, we were wise about it. But we were going about things and going about things. And I was like, I'm good. God's got me. I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. Praise God. I'm not getting it. And all of a sudden, the Lord shifted something in my spirit. Well, we got COVID first. Even, even after we had COVID, I said, "No, I'm good," because it was several months. We got COVID right out the bat, right out the gate in October, and then we didn't get the injection until six, seven months later, eight months later. Um, but all of a sudden, there was a shift in my spirit, and I thought, "What in the world is that?" So I went to fasting and praying and seeking the Lord, and I said, "Lord, why is there a shift all of a sudden?" He said, and this is what he said. He said, there's people that will never come into your church if you don't have the, if you don't have the, uh, if you don't get the injection. There will be people that will never hear the gospel preached from you. He said, there's going to be places down the road that I'm going to send you that you will not be able to go unless you get the injection. He said, so the blood of Jesus will protect you. Go get it. I said, wow, that's uncomfortable, Lord. I thought, man, because I knew how my husband and my mom felt about it. So I went in the kitchen that morning and I said, so, Mom, I think I'm going to go. I've been talking to the Lord. The Lord's been dealing with me. I said, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go get the injection today. And she said, 
uh, me too. And I went, really? And she said, yep, Lord's been dealing with me too. And I did A's the day. And I said, wow, that's God. Praise God. So then I called Michael and I said, oh, man, he's on fire out there in Oregon or somewhere. It was Oregon. And, uh, you know, and they're super like, oh, get it, get it, get it, and campfire and everything else. And he's like, I am not doing it. I don't care. He works for the government. He's like, I have no peace about getting that thing. So I called him, and I thought, man, he's going to have a meltdown. And I called him, and I said, honey, I said, I just, FYI, I don't care what you do. You be obedient to the Lord. I said, but this is what I heard from the Lord. And he said, he said, good. He said, I was going to call you and tell you I was going to go get it today. And I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, what was it, the day before? He said, I heard from the Lord the day before to go get it. And then he went to go get it, and they didn't have it. He had to wait till he got home. See, yeah. <laughs> yeah, came, came home with COVID. That was fun. Uh, but how much do you know? We've already faced this thing of God said, when it comes to the mark of the beast, if, we're, if we stay with Christ, we don't have to face this decision. But what I need you to understand and I need you to help people understand around you when they get to talking about this, you need to start to clear the air and say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It doesn't say that if you take the mark, you're headed to hell. It says that if you receive the mark into your heart, the indication is that people are going to be given it whether they want it or not. And if you receive it into your heart, if you take it as your own and you receive and you worship the beast and you worship the image and you receive the mark of the beast as your own personal property or your own personal connection to your God, then then you're doomed. Then you're in trouble. Then you're in trouble. Can everybody see this? Okay. Good, because that's a hard one. Everybody's looking at me like, don't be messing with my beast of the mark theology. <laughs> Kicking sacred cows over here. All right. Now, this is what's going to happen to those that choose to worship the beast, that choose to uh, worship his image, that choose to take the mark as their own. This is what will happen to them. It's in, but now here it doesn't tell us at what point this happens. It just tells us that the same shall, shall, which means down the road, they're going to drink of the wine of the wrath. This word wrath means his passion. It means that this is his, like, like he's angry about it. He's upset about it, uh, absolutely about it. But this is, he's passionate about this of God. Now, this God that they're going to be dealing with is the one that we call Father God. But he's not going to be in the role of Father that day. He's going to be in the role of judge that day. On the day that this judgment falls, he's going to be the ruling supreme judge of everything. And on this day, when these people come before him, he's going to look at them. And, and this is, now this, this imagery is, helps me to get it. Okay. This is the image of this criminal has come before this judge and received mercy and got sent on their way. And then that criminal came back and received mercy and got sent on their way. And then this criminal came and received mercy and got sent on his way. What's about, what did Jesus say? Forgive seven times, 7,490 times. This criminal, in a, in a short period of time, this, in a day, this criminal day after day has, been, has come before the judge of God. And God has given him mercy. 
and mercy and mercy and mercy and mercy and mercy and mercy and grace and grace and grace and grace and mercy and grace and mercy and grace and mercy and grace. This criminals boohooed their way out of their charges. Four, time five, six, again. seven, eight hundred thousand times, maybe, maybe seven thousand times. They boohooed their ways out of the, out of, out of, in this judge's, in, in, in this judge's court way more times than they ever should have. And this judge has said to this criminal, because remember the angel flew, and this judge gave, gave this criminal one last warning, and this, and this judge said, if you ever come before me, Again, if you ever come in front of my court, into this courthouse, into my courtroom, one more time, not you will face the full extent and weight and penalty of this court's power. Only the problem is, is you're going to be in the Creator's courtroom, which means all of the power, all of the authority, all of the weight that God has. All of the penalty that God can, 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 can judge you and punish you with, he will. That's what, that's what this picture is. He said, he shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. In other words, they're standing before this judge who is, because it says, which is poured out without mixture. In other words, this is nothing but pure judgment. There's absolutely no mercy and no grace left. None. There's not an ounce of mercy. There's not an ounce of grace left in this judge. None. For these people that have gone all the way through, that have gone all the way through all of time, they're now at the judgment seat of Christ. We have not yet seen in the scriptures exactly when this takes place. He said, but when they get to this point, he said, there will be no mercy, there will be no grace uh, into the cup. In other words, into this person's spirit, soul, and body, that's the cup. They will, they will experience the full weight of his, of his passion, of his indignation, of his anger. They're going to feel the full weight of it. And he shall be, in this person, or they, or they, these people, will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, in this presence does not, when we read that, we think of he's sitting on his throne and he's watching you being tortured. That is not what this is. This is, he's in his heavenly throne in heaven, and the holy angels, which are the guards over the fallen demons, the holy angels and the lamb, they are watching with authority to make sure that the penalty of the judgment is carried out. They're watching over the demons. They're watching over everyone. So what is the full weight of his judgment? Well, we tend to think that Satan gets to decide what level of damnation you receive, but no, that's the judge. How much, you know, when you go before the judge, the judge and he sentences you, the judge decides if you go to the city jail or the county jail. He decides if you go to the, he decides if you go to the state pen or the federal pen. There's even judges on the federal level that decide if you go to to the American prison, federal prison, or if you go to prison in a foreign country where you end up at. See, it's the judge, it's the magistrate that decides what prison you're assigned to. And so it will be God, the judge, not God the Father. 
I mean, it's the same God, but he's going to be in the role of magistrate. And he's going to decide, based on your works, what level of damnation these people go through. And then, they're going to be, that word presence means across the way, but yet visible. So when they're up in heaven, they're going to be able to look down in the pits of hell. The angels and Jesus are going to be able to look down in the pits of hell and see these people. They're kind of like the uh, the jailers, I guess you could say. They're like the jailers. All right, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. There it is again. Right. Receiveth as in... Take it as take their it own. As, take it as their own. And again, remember... Jesus has done absolutely everything he can to get these people to turn away from their sin. And at this point, there's no, there's not, God has nothing left in his bag of tricks to get these people to repent. And, and I know this, this receiveth as their own is kind of a hard thing, but it's, it's the same thing as salvation. That's right. You've got to receive it. You can say the words all you want, but unless you receive it as your own, yep. it's not, it didn't take. That's right. That's right. So. And this, and oh, and I wanted to say this because uh, the brother Randy went to the Lord and asked him because of all this hooey about the beast of the mark and oh my God, you know, you just if they're trying to force you to take it, just rebel, rebel, rebel. Well, Satan is the god of rebellion, and so brother Randy went and said, I don't, you know, like God, you got to show me this. And this is what God told brother Randy. He said it's a matter of the heart, and that agrees with the scriptures. It's a matter of the heart. All right. So verse twelve. Here's the patience of the saints meaning us, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So here's the deal. And I've been asked this question many times. Miss Robbie, Pastor Robbie, what's the point of being an upright Christian and walking upright with God if these people out here can get drunk, get high, get sexy, do whatever they want to do, live however they want to be, and yet they make heaven? They don't. They don't. They don't. We, the Christians, we, the saints, we have to stay patient even when we see the sinner, when it looks like the sinner's living better than we are. Even when it looks like the sinner's getting the money, even when it looks like the sinner's getting all the attention, even when it looks like the sinner's got everything good going on, when it looks like there's nothing bad in their world, when it looks like, I mean, it's just, Satan ain't touching them anywhere. No, we stand back and we be patient. Why? Because we know what I just described is coming their way. We know it's coming. Pastor Mike did the did the math earlier today. So, so if 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 the if the average lifespan of an adult human is like eighty years, it's pretty close to eighty. Somewhere average. right around that that is the average nowadays. If if in God's time, so God says that one day is like a thousand years, right? Or a thousand of our years is like one day to God. Yeah, that's it. The other way. That thousand thousand of our years is like one day in, in God's time. So it, so if if eighty years is our entire lifespan, if you take that and do the math, it comes out to one point nine two hours. So in our entire lifespan is like one two one point nine two hours, almost two hours two in hours. God's time. So we can be and, sitting and, here, and you have and you have to you have to admit that that's just. 
that that analogy is just so we can understand. It's probably even greater of yeah. a difference than that. So when we're sitting here going, God, they're 80, 90 years old. They're still sinning. They're still drinking. They're still doing this. They're still doing that. They're living crazy. I mean, they got everything under the sun. Look at these people. And I'm over here struggling. He's given them every opportunity because to him, it's just an hour or two of his time. Yep. And, it's just an hour or two of his end, time. So they, they had a good time for an hour and two hours. Two hours of eternity. And then the rest of, of, eternity, of eternity, it says... Forever and ever, for the rest of eternity, they're going to be in torment. This they're is, going to pay for what they did. This is why I say no measure of rebellion against God, no act of rebellion against God is worth the risk of hell. No. I don't care how, I don't care. I can have pleasure for 80 years and have everything perfect for 80 years and living for the devil. With no hardships. The devil not come against me at all. Those 80 years are going to be nothing in the blink of eternity. And, yeah. and on the flip, flip side of that, if I live my life for God, the entire 80 or, or even just part of the 80 years. Just a small I live portion part of, of part of the 80 years for God because I say I got saved late in life. Maybe I was 60 when I got saved. We had somebody yeah. get 75 years old get saved we in the had, church yeah, we a few a months se- ago. We had a 75-year-old man get – so he might live another 10 years. Or 20 years. Or we 20 don't know. Years. But, but, when, but, but when, he goes, when he goes before the Lord, he's going to get rewarded. He's going he's gonna to have eternal life. Right. So, that, so, so he, he's – Praise God. In the end, he's, he's doing better. In the end, he wins. Praise God. Even if, the, even if his next 20 years is in pain, his entire – the next 20 years or 15 years, even if he's in pain that whole time, that's just a small fraction of time compared to eternity. Glory to God. So because, and this is that patience. That's why we can look at things. People are like, God's not going to put up with all this nonsense that's going on in the world. No, he's not going to put up with it. But his idea of waiting and our idea of waiting are two very different things. His idea of judgment and our idea of judgment is two very different things. They may live their entire life in in sin, and God gives them every answer. Listen, I know people that are in their 80s and their 90s that I look at them and go, how has Satan not taken you out of here prematurely looking at their life? Because God is giving them mercy and grace and giving them every opportunity, every opportunity to get right. Glory to God. Let's read a few more verses. we got to finish this chapter up, or we will. It gets pretty easy from here. Okay, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, write. Okay, so now we just shifted. We just shifted from he's in heaven, and now while he's in heaven, God says, John, write this down because this is for my people that are on the earth today. So from the time of John to the time that Jesus comes, this portion applies to us today. All right, it says, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, from this moment on, from the time of John till now, or in, in, in from the time in, of John until Jesus continuing on until Jesus returns. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. So if they if if they if they whenever they get with the Lord and they follow the Lord from then on faithfully, they are blessed. That's right. You receive salvation. 
And you go home to glory whenever the that is. Rather you go home to glory now. Rather you go home to glory when the church is raptured. Rather you go home to glory sometime after the tribulation or in the millennial reign of Christ. Whenever you get born again, you're blessed because you're in Christ. Yes, saith the, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. So after they die, they get to rest. Woo-hoo, from that, their works. And, and their works do follow them. So our works are important. I know a lot of people say that work, works don't get you saved. They don't. Jesus gets you saved. Right. But the works are still important. The works and they, are important. And they will count when we get to heaven. There is no retirement in Christianity. You don't retire from Christianity. Once you're a Christian, you're a Christian for all of eternity. You don't get to retire from Christianity. You might get to retire from certain types of jobs and switch to other certain certain types of jobs in the family, but you never get to retire from your Christianity. So we'll get credit for our works when we get to heaven. That's right. And I and and you want them. Yes, you want that credit. Listen, Jesus if, if said it's, if it's good this works. This is important. This is important. If it's good works. This is important. Well, if you're in Christ, you're doing good works, hopefully. If you're if you're truly 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 in Christ, you're doing good works. But there's I, I hear that I hear people say this. Well, I don't care anything about the works. Yes, you do, because Jesus because because God said, John, write it down. It's going to be good for them if they die. Whenever they die, they get to rest. But not only are they going to get to rest, but their works are going to go with them. If Jesus said your works are going to go with you, that means that they're important. Yes. That they're important to him. Let's move on. I'm trying, but this is important. People need to hear it. I don't care about the clock. Verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat, like unto the Son of Man. This is Jesus. Having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. So here's Jesus. With a sickle. He's not in the he's not in the throne room. He's out floating around on a cloud somewhere, not like a puffy cloud in the sky, but a glory cloud. He's out. He's out of the palace. He's out of the throne room. He's riding around on a cloud somewhere. He might be sitting out on the patio of the palace. I don't know, but he's not in the throne room. And he's sitting there. He's and, waiting. And he's got a sickle in his hand. And he's waiting. Do y'all know what a sickle is? It's for it's for it's for I reaping see a few wheat. People, I see a few re- people that don't know what a sickle is. You ever seen that thing that the Grim Reaper has? You know, it's got the stick and it's got the big blade on it. Yep. You know, uh, or you have you ever seen out here in the farming? You ever go out to Grandpa's shed or whatever, and there's that thing that's hanging down, and there's a blade on the bottom of it, and you can swing it like this and cut the grass or cut the hay. That's a sickle. More or less. Yes. That's more or less a sickle. And so what it's for is it's if you get out there in the wheat fields and you get out there and you do like this and it cuts the wheat so the wheat can be harvested. That's what this is. Yes. So here's Jesus. He's sitting out there. And he's w- just waiting. He's just waiting. He's just chilling out. His work's been done. He's just chilling out waiting on the Father God. What's he waiting on? He's waiting on the Father God because only the Father God knows the time. Jesus himself doesn't know the time. So he's like, well, the time's getting close. I'm looking at how the earth is behaving, and it's getting close. Man, it's getting close. Man, that, woo, it's getting close down there. I think I'm going to go, Jesus, what are you doing? He says, I'm just waiting on the call. I'm just waiting on the call. And look at what happens. In verse 15, and another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. He's waiting. 
He's waiting for God to grab, for, for the messenger of God to come out of the throne room of God and say, Jesus, the Father says, go get him, boy. And Jesus comes off his cloud and he reaps the, the, the earth that's ready to be reaped. Everybody that has received Jesus. Now, in this scripture, it doesn't tell us if this is the calling away of the church. It doesn't tell us. Some people say, because it's right here where he's talking about, um, he's talking about uh, the seven-year tribulation. Some people take the scripture and say, see, at the, at the midway point, there's going to be a reaping or a calling away of, of those that got saved during the seven years or, or even at the midpoint. Uh, and then there's also, but see, after the seven years, there comes the millennial reign of Christ where people get yet another opportunity to get saved. This doesn't tell us which one of the, when the church gets called out, thank you, Holy Ghost, you just clarified it for me. When the church gets called out, it's the angels that come and fetch. When it's, when it's right there at judgment day. It's Jesus that comes and reaps the rest of the harvest. And, of course, he's reaping only the Christians, the saved. And he's only taking those that have received Jesus. All right. And he knows who's received them and he because sa- he's given them his power and his name. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. So now there's an angel. So here's Jesus. So here's here's really what this is. There's Jesus and an angel, and they're both sitting there waiting. They're just waiting for the announcement. And Jesus is going to come, and he's going to reap the dry wheat that's ready to be harvested. And there's and then there sits an angel, and this angel is also sitting there with a sickle waiting. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So, I want you to notice a couple of things in the scripture. It says, And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire. This is the angel that has the key to the bottomless pit. This is the angel that has the key to the bottomless pit. And he comes out and he tells the angels that are the reapers, he said, I'm going to unlock the pit so that the, so that the, um, harvest, not the, no, the, the thistle, the, um, the oh, tares, oh, the tares, so that the tares, remember it said, let the, let the, the tares grow up with the wheat. And at the, at the, at the time of judgment, the wheat and the tares would be separated. separated. Jesus is going to reap the tear, reap the wheat. And these angels are going to reap the tares. And the Bible says that these tares are going to be bundled together and, and, and thrown into the fire. So, so Jesus is reaping all of the Christians. I truly believe what we're seeing is right before Judgment Day um, after the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, this is when I really believe that this takes place. I'll show this to you as we move through the scriptures. Um, but... Uh, because this is the final time. This is the final time. But he says he's going to go through and he's going to reap. It may be at the end of the seven years, but I, but I don't think so. Uh, but whenever right here, right, right, right at Judgment Day, 
Jesus is going to come back to the earth and he's going to pull everybody that's received him, that's truly received him in the heart. Everybody else is going to be uh, bundled up by the angels. They're going to follow the angel with the key, with the power of fire down to the, down to the door of hell. And he, they're going to get thrown in and the angel's going to lock the gate and that's going to be it. That's going to be done. And that word, notice it says for her grapes. This clearly tells us that this is not the wheat. This is the grapes. That indication where it says fully ripe, have you ever gone to, have you ever gone to, um, I, I don't know so much about, I mean, I know we've got a lot of grape vines and stuff around here. Well, how about blackberries? Uh, but if the blackberries or the blueberries or even the tomatoes, have you ever gone to pick them and they just burst in your hand? They're so excessively ripe that they just burst in your hand. They're no good. That's the indication here is that the people that this angel reaps are so, they're so Thick with sin. They're so ripe with sin that they just burst with contact. They've been hanging on the vine too long. They've just been hanging on the vine too long. All right, verse 19. Now, this, this verse right here. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the... So if you don't understand what a wine press is, a wine press is where you put in the grapes and they're squeezed and all the juice is pressed out. Right. All right. And the wine press was trodden with, without, outside of the city. Because, you know, like in the old times, they, they walked on the, on the grapes. To, so they took care to, of that outside of the city. So this is not happening in heaven. This is happening outside of the city. And the blood came out of the wine press, even it, into the horse bridles, meaning it was as, the blood was as deep as the horse bridle, the bridles on a horse, which is about five feet. Average average horse height is about five foot, yeah. about five foot deep. Even into the horse bridles, and by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Now we looked this up; uh, 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 that's about a hundred and eighty-six miles. Well, it's between one hundred eighty-six and one hundred ninety-eight. It's close to two hundred miles. So it's it's five foot deep, and and it's covering an area one hundred eighty-six miles square. Square. That's so that's, that's like, about as far as from here to Macon. Yeah. No. Yeah. From here to Macon, north to south. From here to Hickory, east to west. Can you imagine? So take that, make it a box, make it five foot deep, and that if you think about how much blood people have in their bodies, if you were to measure it all of all the people that are headed to hell at the end of time, that's how much that's how many people are headed to hell. That is a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's tremendous. It's, it's more than the brain can even comprehend. This is why it is so important that we live clean for Christ. This is why it is so important that we share our testimonies. This is why it is so important that we're not hypocrites. This is why it's so important that we speak the truth and not a lie. This is why, because, yeah, if, if every person in this room, if you continue on the path you're, that you're walking right now, you're not going to have to be concerned with this. You're going to make heaven. Every person in this room, if you continue on the path you're on, you're going to make heaven. But what about your friends and family? Are they going to make it? I've got friends and family that have rejected Christ because of the behavior of Christians. Every person in this room can say that. 
This is why it's so important that we get this message out. This is why it's so critical that we understand. And here's the deal. It's not God sending them. It's God sends no one to hell. This is everybody. This is a choice. This is a personal choice. This is a personal decision. God is giving every person mercy and grace. And God is, listen, in America, it should not be said in our nation where there's literally a church on every corner. It should not be said that we have children and adults who have never in their life heard of the gospel of Christ. But there's hundreds and thousands, if not a few million in our nation that don't know Jesus. It should never be said that a man of 75 years old who has lived in this wonderful country all the days of his life has never been in a church a day in his life. Where are the believers encouraging this man to come to church? Where are the prayer warriors? We've got a job to do. Because if we don't do our job, we're adding to that great depth of blood. And their blood is on our hands. And these are the works that are important. Their blood is on our hands. We read it last week. He who leads into captivity, he himself will go into captivity. Listen, if you're living out there like a sinner, and you're saying, man, I'm a Christian, and you're leading them right into the sins of hell, you got a problem. Come on, church, we got to do better. Come on, church. We got to do better. I don't want to leave you on a horrible note, but we got to do better. We got to do better. Verse 15 or chapter 15, I encourage you to go ahead and read it because you'll see that there's great victory in heaven. I don't want to keep you any longer than I've already kept you. And I hate to leave. I hate to end on this note. But come on, church. We got to do better. We got to do better. We got to live right. We got to set the standard. We got to set the standard that the, that, that the ministry of Jesus Christ is more important than party time with family and friends. We got to set the standard that it's more, it's more important to live right and to live clean and maybe hurt a few people's feelings than to lie to their face. Come on, church. We got to do better. And I'm talking, I'm not talking just to our church, I'm talking church universal. I'm talking to Church Universal. And if this message offends you, your problem's not with me. Your problem's with God because it's his book, and all we did was read it and explain it. That's all we did was read it, and we just, we just kind of helped bring clarification to what he was saying. We didn't add to it. In fact, we even, we even deducted what other people have said. How did you do that? I tried to close it. You had to take the pen out to close it. Glory to God. I, I did that part. Glory to God. Well, let's pray. Let's pray over our tithes and offerings and release the people and let them go to home and go to bed. Yes. Some of them got to get up and work tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Glory to God. Some of us got to go hiking tomorrow. Pray, 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 right? pray. Right. Lord, we thank you for being here with us tonight. We thank you for, uh, for your word that is revealed unto us. We thank you for your correction. We thank you for, for showing us the errors of our ways and showing us the, the consequences as well as the benefits of, of following you, Lord. And we, we want to do your work here on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to do it because, well, because you saved us, Lord, because you, you, you gave your life so that we could be here. You paid the price to get us out of, 
out of out of the mess we were in, and we want to see others do the same. We want to continue your work here on this earth. So, we, we, Lord, we push into you, and we follow you, and we meditate on your word throughout the week, and we, and we read your word daily, and it nourishes our body and our spirit. Lord, it is our bread, and we, and we love you for it, that you have given it to us, and you have left it for us. And, Lord, we, just, we will follow you all the days of our lives, and we give into your kingdom, Lord, because it is right that we do so. And we give with a, with a grateful heart and a joyous heart because we love you, Lord, and we want to see your work done. So we give, and we ask you to bless this offering, that it go further than we could ever ask, hope, or think towards the furthering of your work, because we know that it's your will that not one of us be left behind, that not one of us go into the pits of hell, but we know that that that's that's an impossible task, but but you have set us to do as much as we can, and we will do that, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, Father, we thank you that your word is true. Your word is always working. Amen and amen. Thank you, Father. You can receive the people. Father, we thank you for great increase coming to our hands and to everybody else's. In Jesus' mighty name, thank you, Father. Glory to God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father.